We're starting Genesis. I think this is like the first Old Testament book that we're studying together. And one of the reasons why I chose Genesis is because someone told me, why can't we study the Old Testament? Why is it always New Testament? And I go, okay, let's do the Old Testament. I'm very easily persuaded that way. Go, okay. Right, one person says, hey, Old Testament. I go, okay, let's do Old Testament. And let's go Genesis, right, from the beginning. That's one of the, main, one of the reasons why I started. The second reason I started Genesis is, um, the theme of Genesis is pretty cool. Genesis is part of the Pentateuch, which is the five, first five books of Moses, they say, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. These are the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, right? And Genesis is the beginning of this book. And the purpose of the Pentateuch is, to, is for God to reveal to the world who he is. Right? This is the first document, the Pentateuch, is the first document where God uses to reveal to the Israel, not only to Israel, but to the entire world who he is. It's very exciting. This is the first actual revelation of God to the world of who he is. And so I think it is a good thing for us to remind it how it all started. Right? So that's what we study Genesis. And so... A little bit of background on Genesis. Genesis was written, I think they say, it, it was written around, this is the boring part. It gets exciting after this, so bear with me. Genesis was, was written around 1445 BC, um, that, during the time, after the time of the Exodus. Right? It was written after um, the Israelites came out of Egypt, and they were wandering through the desert, and they were about to go into the Promised Land. So Genesis was written not before Exodus, right? but after they came out of Egypt, right? And they say the author is primarily Moses. Clearly, other scholars, other authors help write the Pentateuch because at the end of Deuteronomy, it says Moses died. And Moses can't write if he's dead, right? So there, is, there are other writers who wrote Genesis with Moses, uh, with Moses, but Moses is considered primarily be the writer, Right? So that's a little bit of background. And once again, the main focus of the Pentateuch, specifically Genesis, is to reveal to the world who God is. Right? And the very theme, that I'm going to start out with the main theme of the sermon, and we're going to build upon it. But the main theme of Exodus, Genesis chapter 1, is God is real. God is reality. Everything else is not reality. God is reality. And that's the main theme of today's sermon. So this week... Um, I had a really blessed week. I really did. Um, one of the brothers here that I interviewed for during the membership meeting, he said, yeah, man, I, read, I listen to the Bible. They go, excuse me? I listen to the Bible, man. And it's great. And I go, yeah, okay. So I started listening to the Bible every morning. It's fantastic. Right? Bible's usually meant, like, designed to be listened to. Right? Because before, during Moses' time, they didn't have, like, in, people didn't have individual Torahs. Right? So they, they listened to God's word. Even in the New Testament, at Thessalonians, Paul said, read this letter to the brothers, which means the Word of God is primarily designed to be listened to. As I was listening to it, I was listening to the Psalms, I was listening to Second Thessalonians over and over and over again. It is fantastic. By the way, for those of you who are lazy, listen, it's great. Right? So I was listening to it, and that was, I was having a really blessed week. But another re- the reason why I had a blessed week was I was listening to a sermon by John Piper about George Whitfield. You know who George Whitfield is? Let's, let's, let's study Christian history, okay? George Whitfield is the 18th century Anglican preacher who was responsible for the Great Awakening. In the 1700, in mid-1700s and late 1700s in America, there was a massive revival happening. People started getting crazy converted in America, Right? That's called the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening, because people woke up to the reality of God. And the man who was primarily responsible for the Great Awakening, this massive revival happened in America, is this guy named George Whitfield. Right? George Whitfield um, didn't have a church. He was an itinerant preacher, which means he went around England and America, and he just go to place, town to town, place to place, and he preached. It says he preached like 8,000 sermons. It says he preached more than he slept. Right? And whenever he went preaching, people got converted. It's fantastic. And his sermons were very long, by the way. But you're lucky. Right? Sermons are very long. Right? And you're lucky. And also, his sermons were powerful. Not only because he was eloquent. Right? He had a way with words. Right? But the way he preached, not only preached with eloquence, 
preached with passion. Right? He wasn't just he wasn't just preaching out of uh, like just reading a sermon. It was dynamic. Have you ever heard, heard preachers like that? Right? Dynamic preaching. He would yell at his audience, repent. Or sometimes he would just stand up there. He would just start crying. And he would just cry. For like five minutes, ten minutes, he would just cry when he was reading the Word during his sermons. It was never boring the way he preached. And someone asked him, Hey, Whitfield, why do you preach the way you do? Because my pastor doesn't preach the way you preach. My pastor kind of reads out of a manuscript. Why do you preach the way you preach? Whitfield would say, I preach like this. My sermons is, are animated. I'm just paraphrasing here. It's because God is real. My sermons have life, dynamic animation to it. Because I preach about the God who is real. And he says, the unbelievers, they cry over things that are not real. They look at actors and plays, and they cry and they weep over plays, fiction that are not real. They do not weep over the things that are real. But for me, I'm different. I preach. And I cry. And I deliver the truth of the living God who is real. God is real. God is absolutely real. He is real. And all that really matters is Him. That's what Whitfield is trying to say. And I think like the listeners of Whitfield's day, I think all of us, I think we're not obsessed with what is real. We're obsessed with things that are not really real. Isn't that true? We're, we're obsessed with this version of reality that we construct in our heads. Right? We spend our entire days diverting our attention to fantasy. Whether it be at video games, or whether it be at football things, or whether it be at books, or Netflix, or Korean dramas. We need to spend our days diverting attention to, to something that is not real. We get obsessed over things that are not real. Like when, when Rain Johnson, you know, the director of Last Jedi, when that movie came out, he got death threats by, by Star Wars fans. I wish you dead, man. I'll get you. They wanted him dead. Really, they did. And I cannot say I don't really kind of, I cannot, I'm not, you know, kind of familiarized with them, with them, but like, they get obsessed. When, you're, when their football team wins, what do people do? They loot the streets and they flip cars. They get passionate about things that are not real. And they get so bored of the things that are real. That's what today's sermon is about. Today's sermon is really about we need to seek God because He is what is real. Everything else, right, it's not. Right? Let's go. Let's, let's see what Genesis has to say. First, first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the word in the beginning means before there was a beginning. Even before there was such a thing called a beginning, beginning of what you call existence, there was God. So there was, even before time, there was a condition of the universe where nothing existed. Nothing existed. Nothing. But God. Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But God created the heavens and the earth. He willed existence to be. Right now, you see me, you hear me, you're thinking, look at your hands, you can see your hands, you can see these place, you can see this place. You're experiencing existence. And the Bible is saying, we, we exist, we experience, this existence thing, it's because God created it. Apart from this, apart from God, this this doesn't this is not possible. 
He is the one who willed reality to be. He is the truth. He is reality because he is the one who formed reality. Right? Reality is not an infinite stone that Thanos has. That's not the reality stone, you geeks. Right? God is a shaper and molder of reality. You exist. You go through the things that you go through. You love the people that you love. You struggle with the things that you struggle All because God made it so. God is not your best friend. God is not someone you know who could make your life better. He's, it's, regardless of anything that you believe in, he's, he's the one who shaped reality. That's what Genesis 1, chapter, verse 1, verse 1 is saying. He created things out of nothing. He created the heavens and the earth. What does it mean, heavens? Heavens means anything that is not earth is heaven. Heavens, right? That's what it means, right? He created everything in the universe. Do you know, know, I'm not a science guy, so I had to do research. Did you know, right, our galaxy is six trillion miles long? Can you believe that? I'm I'm sorry, 600 trillion miles long. That's how long long our galaxy is, right? And our galaxy is one of 100 million, one of 100,000 million galaxies. Is there such a number? 100 million thousand galaxies. We're just one of 100 million, thousand million galaxies. Our little galaxy is, is one 600 trillion miles long, and we're just one of 100,000 million galaxies. Right? The distance between our so this is between the average distance between the galaxies, they say, is 600 trillion miles long. So our galaxy and the next galaxy, that distance is 600 trillion miles. And there's 100,000 million galaxies like this. And the galaxy is expanding 200 million miles an hour. That's how vast it is. Not only is it vast, every atom, every molecule, every particle, every electron, everything that is shaping the universe. Genesis says, God created it. You know? The universe. We can know the universe. I went to the Bible Museum the other day because I'm a good, good, good guy, a good pastor. And Newton, Isaac Newton, says natural law. We 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 study natural law, which is science, because God made the God made the universe known. He made the universe knowable. And Isaac Newton says that's why we study science because he made the universe knowable, which means. There's a reason, the reason why we can have science and the reason we can have physics, the reason we can have all these things is because the, the phenomena that's happening in the universe can be observed. Why? Because there are laws governing these things. Why are there laws governing these things? Because God created it. He created the heavens and all the particles and all the atoms, and all the molecules, and all the black holes, and all the dark matters, and all the stars, and all the planets, all the galaxies, all these things God created. He willed existence to be. Not only did He create the heavens, He created the earth. He created this big blue marble that we live. Right? Look. He created the earth. When it was formless and empty, verse 2 says. Right? Is that what verse 2 says? Right. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void. It says the earth was empty. Earth, well, earth didn't exist. It was empty, it was void. But God created something out of nothing. Right? In the old ancient texts, right, during Israel's time, ancient texts had, like, there are all these ancient documents that explain how the world was, how this earth was created, right? And all these ancient texts say the earth was created by different ways, right? One of the ancient texts says, you know, God fought, right? And the winner God made the earth. The earth was created after 
he vanquished his enemies. Or another ancient document says, the earth was created after God killed a monster, and out of that monster, earth was born. Right? It's weird. But Genesis chapter 1 is the only document that says God created the earth out of nothing. Nothing existed. Nothing here existed. No plant, no tree, no animal, no sky, no, no star. Nothing existed until God created it. Then the question is, how did God create the earth? Right? How did he do it? It says, with his word that he created it. We'll talk about that later. But the question is then, then the question that we have to address when we talk about Genesis chapter 1 is, well, did, how long did it take God to create the earth? Did it take seven days? Did it take seven, seven calendar days to create the earth? So, the, so when we talk about Genesis chapter 1, the question how long it took God right, to create the earth, that always comes up. Right? Well, there are many different theories. Right? So, so I think all the, there, there are a lot of Bible-believing Christians out there and even all these Bible-believing Christians have different theories of how long it took God to create the earth. Right? So, this is for your science geeks. So, there is one part of the Christian evangelical community, fundamental evangelical community, that believes God, it took literally six days for God to create the earth. God created the earth in literally six 24-hour periods. Right? Who believes in such things? John Calvin believed in that. John MacArthur believes in that. And other notable history, historical figures, fathers of the church believe, it took God literal 24, six 24-hour period to, to create the earth. That is one view. After this, ask Pastor William what, he, what his view is. That's my homework for you. There's another view. Right? This is all like views of, 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 you know, of, of you know, Bible-believing Christians. Another view is punctuated activity view which means God created day one in 24-hour period. But the time period between day one and day two, we don't know. Right? So God created light the first day. And the punctuated view means it could have, it could have taken God thousands of years to create the next thing, which is separation between like, expansion of the sky and the ocean. And after the second day, second day half a 24-hour period, after that, it took God thousands of years to do day three. Right? And so on and so forth. So the actual creation took place in a 24-hour period, but the time period between creation, we don't know. That's the punctuated activity view. The third view is the gap theory view. I think this is what John Piper believes in. He believes that there's a, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. Period. This verse 1. Gap theory says, we don't know how long it took God from verse 1 to verse 2. Right? Verse 1 talks about God creating the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 talks about God forming the earth. We don't know how long that time period between verse 1 and verse 2 is. Right? The fourth view, right? and there are many other views, is, 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 and that the God, is the, and is, how do you say it? Analogy day view. Which means, I think um, Kent Hughes, one of the prominent scholars of Christianity, this is what he believes in. He believes that when, when Genesis tells about God making the earth, it is describing God as a workman. He's working to create something. So his view is, it doesn't really mean 24 hours. Genesis chapter 1 is describing how God is working. It, it, it describes God as a laborer. For us, our labor time is 8 hours a day. right? For us, our, 20, our, our day is 24 hours. But for God, we don't know how long God's, God's work day is. right? For example, for some of you lucky people, you work 8 hours a day. God bless you. I'm so jealous. And for crazy workaholics like me and Alan, we work 14 hours a day. Our work time is different. Right? So, analogy view is, we don't know how long God's work day is. Right? We don't know how, how, long, how long a work day that God took to build, to create the light and darkness. Right? John MacArthur will say, any other view besides a literal view is just crazy. You're not being biblical. Okay. Right? Anyway, there's different views of how long it took God to create the earth. But all these views have one thing in common, which means God created the earth out of nothing. 
God created the earth out of nothing. We experience life, nature, food, beauty, sex, we, friendship. We, we, we experience all these good things because God created it. Right? God created existence. He created heavens. He created the earth. Now the question is, how did, how did God do it? What is the process that God used to create the heavens and the earth? Number one, the whole trinity was involved in the process of creation. Right? It says God created the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. How? By his word. He said that there be light. He said that there would be expansion in the, in the midst of the sky. He said let the waters under the heavens and the earth be gathered into one place. The, the Genesis chapter 1 clearly says God created existence, this earth, through his word. God said it and it was so. Some, not, so something great has been good out of no, created out of nothing through the way, because God said, that, that said God expressed, God used his word to express creation. How did God create the universe? How did God create existence? He used his words. Physicists believe, you know what physicists believe? They believe the universe was created by a sound wave. He says even before the Big Bang, there was a huge sound wave that emanated throughout the universe. And these sound waves contained particles, and these particles like energized matter or something, and creation existed through sound waves. Right, Sean? Sean knows what I'm talking about. Christians would say, oh, that means Genesis 1 is true. God spoke it. God's voice is the sound waves. And therefore, creation existed. Does that mean that? I don't know. But what the Bible says, when the Bible says God spoke, God said and was created, it means God used his word to create, create existence. But we know from John chapter 1, verse 1, the word that God used was not just words, but it was a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, there was, it was, there was a word. The word was with God. The word was God. In Him, all things were created. The word that God used in Genesis chapter 1 is a person called Jesus Christ. Jesus is not only our Savior... Jesus is not only your best friend, Jesus is the creator of existence. He is the agent in whom God used to create all things. You exist because Jesus created you. By the way, if an unbelieving scientist hears this, he'll think I'm crazy. But that is what scripture says. Whether God, Jesus used sound waves created, I do not know how he did it. But it is Christ. Jesus Christ, who, who created some, something great out of nothing. Not only was Jesus involved, right, in creation, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. It says in verse, what, 3, verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. The word hovering here means, the only place they say that the Bible uses the word hovering is to describe a mama bird who hovers over with her wings out, hovers over her babies, right? I don't know. I don't. I don't know biology, but evidently, birds. Is it biology or what's it, what's it called a study of birds? I don't know. Right, so mother birds, when they take care of their kids, right? They, they hover over their kids with their like wings out, and they're protecting their kids like that. That's the image that God had, right? The Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth. Right? Which means he's creating out of something. He, he's, he, he, he is tenderly, lovingly creating the earth. By the way, if there is an argument for environmental sciences, environmental preservation in the Bible, that's Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. This creation, Joshua loved this, this creation was created by the loving hand of God. God was hovering over it like a mama bird hovers over her kids. This earth is precious. Therefore, everyone recycle. This earth is precious. Therefore, everyone buy a Priuses. This earth is precious. Because God created it. And He loved it. Existence came to be out of His great loving care. Right? We should protest the EPA, which is destroying the environment. 
Right? That's what it is. You see, the whole Trinity was involved in creation. Christ, God the Father was spoken to being, and the words He spoke was Christ. The Spirit of God was hovering over the earth to, for creation to be. It was a symphony. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to create a symphony of existence. Look, I don't know classical music, right? I kind of tolerate classical music, right? I do. Man. I go to my car, and when the classical station comes up, and my kids are there, I go, oh, classical music, turn to the 80s music, right? I don't, but I appreciate classical music in the, in the live setting. I like going to the Kennedy Center, right? Because they're professionals. If I go to my kids, my kids aren't here. If I go to my kids' concert, it's like excruciating. Oh my God. Really, it's, truly, it's really excruciating. And we've got to go like eight times between the two of them. I can only go like twice because I just can't. I, I, I can't. But Kennedy Center is marvelous. Why? Because if you sit in the middle of Kennedy Center, when the orchestra plays, even though there's different instruments, it's one beautiful sound. It's like a sound wave enveloping you. It is. It's great. And I go, oh, and I fall asleep. <laughs> I, I really do. I fall asleep every every, every Kennedy Center. I fall asleep, right? It's so beautiful. Different instruments working together to make this symph- like like in a symphonic masterpiece. That's the image of Genesis chapter one. Is how God is creating the universe. Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, getting together and creating something that is beautiful and awesome. The earth was created through the community called God. God is a community: Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The community of God all got involved to create the earth. Right? Not only did the community of God create it, the earth, He created the earth in community. If you look at the, if you look at the rest of chapter one, it says He when He created the animals, He says He created the animals in kind. He created the plants in their own kind, which means He just didn't make an elephant or a fish. He created schools of fish. Herds of animals. Different types of plants. He not only created one type of animal or one type of plant, many different similar kinds of plants and animals. Which means, not only, not only, God, God created community. The universe, this earth, exists in community. Second thing that we know about creation. Not only the Trinity of God was involved, Right? Creation as a order. Right? Day one was a creation of light. Day two was a division of sky and water. Day three, he created land and plants. Day four, right? He used the sun and the moon to mark the day. Right? Remember, day one, he created light and dark. He created light. Day four, the light that he created, he used to mark off between day and night. Right? Day five, God creates birds and fishes to occupy the sky and the sea that was created in day two. Day six, God created animals to fill the land that he created in day three. I'm geeking out here, right? Day one, God made light. Day four, he uses what he made in day one, right, to make night and day. Fantastic. Day two, God made the sky and the oceans. Day five, he, used, he, he, he created animals and fishes, birds and fishes, to occupy the sky and the sea that he made in day two. Day three, he made the land. Day six, he, he created animals to occupy the land that he made in day three. It's fantastic. It is so orderly. God created the earth in order. There's order to God. And number three, what we know about creation is the thing that God created, creation was good. Creation was good. After each creation day, God says it was good. What does it mean when God says it is good? What does it mean? The word good here means an expression of appreciation of a great artistic work. Right? For example, when you watch The Dark Knight, right? The movie, my favorite movie. It's so good. So good. Right? Star Wars, Last Jedi. Oh! 
That's so good. That's the word. That's the word to express the, the, the artistic beauty, the masterpiece of the work. My paralegals, the greatest compliment that I can pay my paralegals is when I look at their work and I say, this is really good. Right? This is really good. A couple of my paralegals gave me really good work this week and I looked at it and I go, like, tears were like, I was crying. This is so good. I'm getting it approved. Oh, this is so good. That's the word good here. When God created it, he looked at what he created and goes, this is so good. Right? When you go to Chuman Chicken in Centerville, you eat it and you go, this is so good. This is so good. Right? When you, when you go to, I don't know, Ruth Chris and that eat a medium rare like steak and you cut it, blood comes out of it and you eat it. Oh, so good. Right? That's the, that's the expression of God. He created something. This is so good. Right? When God created things, it was good. Trinity was involved in the creation of the earth. He created things in community. He created things in order. And it was good. So good. That's creation. That's reality, by the way. Things that exist here, all these things, they exist in a nice, orderly way. Really. Besides human beings, human beings are the chaotic ones. Besides human beings, everything else, every, all the other creation, is in nice, orderly harmony. Trees grow and die when they should. Dogs grow and die as they should. Right? Things happen. Things transgress. Winds blow when they should. Right? Rains come when they should. Everything is in order here. Everything is in order but for one entity. Who is that entity? Human beings. Everything is all as it should be. The Bible says all the heavens and everything in the earth praise God. Which means it, they live, they exist in accordance to God's will. But there's one punk, one punk that does not exist the way God planned them to exist. Who is that punk? It's you and me. God says to the earth, to the stars, shine, go there and shine. Stars go, yes, and they go, they go shine. God says, wind blow in this direction. The wind blows that direction. God says, flowers grow. The flowers grow. God tells a human being, human beings, follow me. Human beings go, uh, no thanks. No, not, not, not going to do it. No. That's the condition of man. Everything happens according to God's plan besides the human being. The being that God made in his image. The being that, where God breathed his life into us. The only being that is made in the image of God is the only being that says no thanks. When you say no thanks, what are you really what you're really saying to God when you say no thanks is you created reality and reality exists because of you. But I'm, I'm going to say no to your reality. I'm going to say no to your truth, and I'm going to embrace my truth. Like uh, there was a guy, I preached, like there was a visitor two years ago. I was preaching my heart out, and after the sermon, he says, "I appreciate you being so passionate about your truth." Right? That's, it's exactly what he said. I go, you punk, right? It's your truth, right? I'm gonna find my own, right? That's what we're doing. When we say no to God, we're saying no to reality. And we're saying, I'm going to follow my own reality. The problem with following your own reality is this. You're living in direct contradiction to what reality is. Right? God is reality, and you're saying no to that, and you're making your own truth. And what, what, are, what you're really doing, if you're living contrary to reality, you are twisting the fabric of reality. And when you twist the fabric of reality, it is chaos in your life. Do you understand? When you say no to God, it isn't, it isn't like an innocent thing. There's real life destruction and consequences that happen. When you say to no to reality and go your own way. That's the main theme of Genesis, Genesis, by the way. Especially Genesis chapter 11 to chapter 1 to chapter 11. There's a major theme. That major theme is 
the, the further the man goes away from God, the more crazy and chaotic he becomes. Right? It starts with man and woman saying, no, I'm not, I'm, you said not eat it, but I'm going to eat it. So they ate it. And that's the start. What happened to their kids? Brothers killed, killed like one brother killed the other brother. Murder. What happened after that? More crazy things to the point where God needed to wipe away the earth with the flood. People following their reality causes chaotic damage. That's the main theme of Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 11. Right? That's what sin basically is. Sin basically is denying the reality as God made it and choosing to follow your own reality. And your reality is not some innocent, logical thing. Your your reality is shaped by your desires. Right? It is shaped by the lies, the system that Satan tells you. Right? And it's shaped by fantasy. Right? Look, look, I mean, when you counsel people who are in adulterous relationships, they really think that the affair partner is their true love. It's crazy. Even though their affair is creating this chaos and, and pain, to their family members, they go, I don't care, I'm in love. They choose to ignore what is really happening, and they choose to just follow their hearts because they think their hearts are telling them that it's true love. It's insane. And not just that. The fantasy of money will solve all your problems. It's crazy. That's like one of the major fantasies out there. If you have enough money, all your problems will go away. As cliche as it sounds, that's what people believe in. And you invest all your time working, right? You invest all these things worrying about money, worrying about when you're going to buy the house, worrying about when you're going to retire, worrying about all this money thing. Because you're obsessed with it because you're, it's because you're believing in a fantasy of what money can do for you. People choose not to embrace reality. They choose to embrace fiction and fantasy. May I dare to say that is what you're doing too. How many times do you spend watching Netflix, for example? I don't want to like just Netflix, by the way. It's great, right? I just can't stream it. What I do is I watch the first episode and then I watch the last 10 minutes of the last episode. But I just can't do like 10, feet, 10 hours of something. I just, I just can't. If you can, God bless you. You're sinning. Anyway, so like, great, so like, you spend more time in Netflix. I don't want to diss fantasy football. I love fantasy football. I wish I could be part of it. And there's godly things about fantasy football. But if you're spending more time about like, calculating who was injured that day and the little points, little yardage, I don't know how fantasy sports works, but if you're obsessed with like whether that dude was injured and that couldn't do it, you're really obsessed with it. You're really obsessed about what is fiction and what is not real. And when that happens to you, you start, your life starts to become out of whack. Can you see it? Look, for example, God created us in God used God uses community to create the universe in community, right? The existence exists because out of community, which means because God is Trinity and because God created all things in community, we're made for community, right? We're made to love people, be part of be part of community. We are. We die without community. We die without other. We die with, without other people. It's, it's true, right? If I see a Christian who is not part of a Christian community, I guarantee you that Christian is going to fall, right? It's true. We die without community. But what do we say? No, that reality is not my reality. My reality is I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to separate myself from the other community people of God. I'm just going to do my own thing, right? We either don't have a desire to do community. By the way, small groups are starting this Friday. We're going to be this Friday. I just want to let you know. We either don't think we need community, or two, the community that we're involved in is like so horrible. It breaks down, right? The community, not only part of us don't think we need community, the other parts of us think that, you know, even if we do have community, the community that we're part of breaks down. It's true. Every major community... Has, is breaking down. 
I don't know why I did this. I don't know why, but because I was so curious about, you know, that particular kind of lifestyle. So I watched a Netflix documentary about the gay community, right? That was interesting. After watching that documentary, suggested things for gay, right? If you have Netflix, you know what I'm talking about, right? Pastor Wujin doesn't have Netflix, so he doesn't know what I'm talking about, right? So, so because I, I was like watching Netflix, like with documentary of the gay community. You know what? You know what the conclusion of the gay, that, that documentary was? Gay community is racist, basically, right? There's racism in the gay community, right? By the way, I didn't know this. Asian males are like the least attractive, available, like, you know, attractive people in the gay community. Anyone but gay, anyone but Asians, they say in, in the gay ads. I, go, I got mad. I go, How dare they, right? But even the gay community, right, that says where everyone's supposed to be equal and all love each other, there is racism, right? There is racism there. Women in the community, of women, right? There's brokenness there too. How do you know? Who's at the White House? Donald Trump, right? Who was he running against? Hillary Clinton, a woman. More white women voted for Trump than Hillary Clinton. What does that say? There's a breaking down in the female community, female political community. Is there brokenness in the Korean church community? No. Get two people, two or three people together, and I guarantee it's going to start breaking down. Look, you, small groups are starting this Friday. God bless you, and all of you must go to that. But let's be honest. First two weeks is great. It's new. I want, I want to commit to the Lord. I want to go here every day. Yay! But week eight, when Thanksgiving rolls around, right? Oh, I did a little trip, man. Or, or when the sixth season, oh, I'm sick. People get sick a lot during, during small group season. Right? Right? You don't want to commit. Small groups invariably always start breaking down. Besides, unless you're Burke or Fairfax, right? You said breaking down. Why? It's just, it's just the way people are. We're made for community, but we either don't do it or we're horrible at it. Why? Because we try to do community without God. And we're suffering for it. Isn't it an accident that we're the most connected generation? Information is like, like available. We are connected. Social media. I'm connected with people I haven't seen in 30 years. And yet we're so lonely. Why is this? I think Denmark has a ministry of loneliness. What the heck is that? We're so connected, and yet we're still lonely. Why? Because we don't have community. Why don't we have community? Because we try to. Because we don't know God. Because we're going against the reality that God has made. Second half. Second thing that happens when you go against the reality of God is what happens? It's chaos. Like I said before, deny the reality of God, and your life becomes chaotic. God is the God of order. But if you don't embrace the reality of God, it is chaotic. You think crazy thoughts. As a result of your crazy thoughts, you do crazy things. As a result of crazy things, the relationship in your life, it starts to implode. I don't know all of you. I love you. But I can guarantee, I don't have a gift of prophecy, but I I can guarantee you, there is some relationship in your life that is chaotic. Whether it's a relationship between your husband and wife, whether it's a relationship between your parents, whether it's a relationship between your kids, whether it's a relationship between your friends and co-workers, I don't care what kind of relationship it is, it is chaotic. There's discontent, there's argument, there's, the, there's this like, ugh, chaos. Look, I have two good, good friends. Both of them are on the verge of divorce. And why are they divorcing? Is it because they cheated, one cheated, one spouse cheated against the other? No, that's not it. Is it because they have money problems? No, they're pretty rich. Is it because their kids are like handful? Oh, maybe, right? There's no reason for them to get divorced. But you know why they're getting divorced? Because the husband and the wife have different visions of what life is supposed to be. Period. And they argue about stupid stuff. <coughs> it is their thinking. If they just correct their thinking just a little bit, that family can be harmonious and grow. But these two couples, they can't get out of their crazy thoughts. And therefore, the kids start seeing their mom and dad fight every single day. How do you think those kids are going to turn out? Chaos. You overly love things that you shouldn't love. And you don't love things that you should love. That's what it is, right? It's chaos. 
You spend way too much time on fantasy stuff rather than what is real. You spend way too much money on things that matter than, than things, that, the things that do. Look, we spend more money on entertaining ourselves than anything else. Right? Chaos. And the third thing, I promise, sermon's almost over. Third thing that happened. Community's breaking down, chaos happening. Third thing happens. We know in our hearts that we're not good. Right? Look, God created everything so good. So, so good. God created everything so, so good. But I think because we're, we're away from God, we know that we're not so, so good. I think you and I secretly know that we're not good. I was reading this book about Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a psychology professor at the University of Toronto. And based upon his research with his client, like patients, he discovers this. He discovered that his patients, right, they need medication for their diseases or whatever. But patients forgot to take their medicine, right? And yet, when their dog is sick, they're really religious about like, treating their dogs. And he was thinking, wait a minute, why do these patients who neglect their own bodies are so into treating their dogs? What is this? Why is that? And his conclusion is this. Human beings would rather, his patients would rather treat their dogs rather than themselves. Because their patients, in their secret heart of hearts, think that they don't deserve to be taken care of. Right? He says, behind every human soul, there's a tendency to think that we're not good, that we're not acceptable. Right? Look, if you think you're not pretty enough, it's re- you're really saying that you're not really good enough. If you think you're not successful enough, you're really saying you're not good enough. Right? If you think that you're not tall enough, you're really saying that you're not good enough. There's something in you that's telling you that you're not good. Right? Look, I wake up, like, I go to sleep praising God. I really do. I go to sleep praising God. I'm so tired. Praise the Lord. And I go to sleep. And I wake up, and I go, oh man, I'm a mess. I'm a horrible lawyer. I'm a horrible father. I'm a horrible pastor. Good preacher, by the way. Horrible, horrible pastor. Right? Oh, I stink. Really, that's the ammo in my mind every, every morning. I need, maybe I need to see a psychiatrist, right? I end up praising the Lord. But I begin the day condemning myself. Is that, is, that, is that just me? Am I the only crazy one? Do you guys all have, do you guys all wake up with Spongebob? It's a wonderful day! That's how Spongebob wakes up. Is that how you wake up? I wake up, oh, I'm such a loser. Oh, man, I really do. Oh, man, I hope I don't get fired today. Really? <laughs> my thought is, I, don't get, I hope I don't get fired today. I hope my, my kids don't do drugs because I'm a horrible dad. There's something that is part of me and you that says you're not good. And the reason why you feel this way is because you don't hear the voice of God telling you that you're good. Why? Because your grandfather Adam and you and and me, we choose to shut our ears away from, from what God is trying to say. We try to embrace our reality. And we try to embrace our reality, we spend our entire lives trying to make ourselves good. And we're going to fail at it. God created creation to be a certain way. God created reality a certain way. God created you to be a certain way. But you are not what God created to be. But you decide to go your own way. Right? So sad. But that's not the end, you know. Genesis chapter 1 clearly shows why Jesus had to come. Genesis chapter 1 clearly shows the reason that Jesus came is to restore and redeem creation. The mission of Christ is not just to die for you. That's not just the mission of Christ. But the reason why he came is to restore and redeem creation. And he restores and redeem creation primarily through saving his people. That's the mission of Jesus Christ, by the way. To restore and redeem creation by restore, redeeming, restoring, redeeming you. How does he do that? He restores and redeems you, doing similar things that he did in creation, by creating something that doesn't exist and, and making it real. What does he make something? What does he do to you? He he creates something out of nothing, right? the same thing that he's going to do to you. What is the nothing that you don't have? 
to nothing is faith. All of us don't have faith. All of us, and I mean, here people do, but all of us are born without faith. What is faith? Faith is recognizing that God is reality. Faith is recognizing everything revolves around God. Faith is recognizing, like, your, your life is really about God's plan. Faith is, faith is worshiping and adoring God. That's what true faith is. And all of us are not born with that faith. Right? I hear Christians say, you know what? You know, I was, uh, the Koreans say, what does that mean? Like, Mo is mom, Te means inside my mom, Shinang is faith. So Koreans say, I had faith even when I was in my, even before I was born in my mother's womb. They go, you're crazy. And I read, I read testimonies that says, oh, I was raised in the church, therefore I always knew God. No, you didn't. You didn't. I'm sorry. That's because you were raised in church. It doesn't mean that you knew God. Just because you were raised in the church, it doesn't mean that you had true faith. It really, it really doesn't. Well, one of the like people that the people who are converted later in life, all of them tell me they were they were kind of glad that they weren't raised in the church. And I go, why is that? It's because uh, because I wasn't raised in the church. I knew I didn't have faith. But now I see I have faith. That, and God did something in me. Now I can see I have genuine faith. They said if I was raised in the church, I would have been confused. I would have thought that I had faith, even though I didn't. I'm still kind of thankful that I wasn't raised in the church because I knew I didn't have faith. Now I know that I do. Listen to those of you who were raised in the church. I'm, I'm, I'm here to say, just because your mommy and daddy took you to church when you were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of old, and you were raised in Christian culture, it does not mean that you have faith in God. You may have agreed with the, Jesus, the fact that Jesus Christ is your Savior, but it doesn't mean that your faith was real. How do you know? Fruits. If your faith is real, right, then it would have unfolded in, your, in how you live your life, right? James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. There's no faith, no faith at all. Which means, if your life doesn't have the fruit of faith, the way you think, how you act, where you spend your money, how you, how you talk, if that is like, not influenced by God, then it doesn't matter what you say you believe in, it's not real. For those of you who are raised in the church, I really, I'm not here to like, hurt you, but I'm here to tell you, if your life doesn't have fruit, it's not real. Right? But what does God do? He takes something that is not real, and he makes it real. Right? That's what Jesus does. Take something that is nothing and make it something that is great. He does that. He really does that. How does he do it? He just doesn't do it by saying it. He does it by dying for you. He does it by forgiving you. God does it by the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. He gives you that power so that for some reason, for some way, your life, your heart that said no to God all the time begins to see God for who He is and you start to worship Him. That's what Jesus Christ came here to do. And when you start to see God for who He is really, truly, honestly, your life will start to bear fruit. Your faith is not just confined to the realm of your ideas. You, become, you start to see it in your life. If you don't see it in your life, it doesn't exist. Right? But if you start to see it in your life, you know that is, God is doing something miraculous in you. question I ask you this morning, before I end, is your faith like the condition of the earth? Is it formless and empty? Or is it something solid? Real? Don't hide behind, I went to church all my life, my daddy is a pastor type of thing. Don't do that. Examine your life. And to see whether Jesus Christ has really made something good out of your other thing that didn't exist. 
if you don't have real faith. Once again, agreeing with me is not real faith. Fruit is real faith. If you don't have real faith, Jesus is telling you to cry out to him. Ask him through his word to make your faith real. Stop playing, I went to church all my life, therefore I'm a Christian game. Ask the Lord to make something that doesn't exist in your life right now. And make it exist. So that you will start to worship Him, which as a result, so that you will have restoration and community, so that your life will start, start to have order rather than chaos. Let us pray. question we ask ourselves is this. Is your faith in God real? Or is it strictly confined to your imagination? And you, you will know it by the reality of it. Because we could, we could see existence, right? We could, we could feel and touch and see existence. And as such, when our faith is real, we'll start to see fruit. We'll start to see changes. If your faith is not real, rather than just staying in your guilt, it is Jesus Christ inviting you to cry out to him so that he will save you. If you have if you're a person of genuine faith and if your life is chaotic, if there are disorderly relationships, it is maybe perhaps it is because you you don't see him clearly. So ask him to see, help you see him clearly through his word so that the chaotic relationship with your life will become orderly again. I guarantee you, you're, you're, we're living a life of chaos. And the only way to have order in the chaotic life it is for us to see Jesus Christ for who he is. Let us pray to God that God will let us see that. Let us pray. Father, perhaps we all of us here agree that there is a God and there is a doubt in our minds that there is a God. And maybe, Father, all of us have somehow experienced one way or the other that your reality sometimes made it clear to us. We had glimpses of you But we really, but there isn't really truth. The faith that we proclaim to believe, have, hasn't really materialized its reality in our lives. Maybe it's because of bad theology. Maybe it's because we've heard, we're used to hearing sermons about free grace and how you just love us. And we think that's just knowing that is enough. Just knowing that is, is faith. Knowing that is important. But what the creation story tells us is that you create something that is real. You don't just create ideas. You don't just create propaganda or ideologies. You create something that is real. Whether we confess that because we don't know you, the chaos in our lives is really real. Our confused thoughts and the results of those confused thoughts are really real. The damages that we cause and other people that cause the damage other people cause us is actually really, really real. The reality of sin and rebellion, the reality of not embracing your reality and choosing to find our own reality, it is very real but you have come to rescue us in real ways. 
You really did die for us. You really did was form in a coming a form of a human being. You really did die for us. And you really did send your Holy Spirit. And, you, and your Holy Spirit really do do your miraculous work through, through your word. And you really, really do change us. Father, I pray for that grace to every single one of us here. I especially pray for my friends who were raised in churches who kind of identify culturally with you, but really don't have any faith or evidence of true faith. I pray for them. I pray that you don't condemn them, because that's not the purpose of all this is, but I pray that you give them genuine faith. The faith that doesn't exist in their lives, I pray that you make it exist. I know that you do it because you have done that for for the people in this church. I have seen miracles here. I have seen unbelievers become converted and become people of God here. So that really does happen. I pray that grace will be extended to every single one of us here. I pray, Lord, for those of us who have forgotten you. For those of us who are just enjoying the chaos out of our lives. I pray that you will call them to yourself. I pray that you reveal yourself to them through your word more clearly so that they will have the power to overcome the chaos in their lives. Father, I pray that you'll build your church as you build this earth. I pray that you'll build this church continuously. I pray for those of us who are ill or with ill sick family members. Father, you create existence You created our bodies. Therefore, you can heal our bodies. I pray for healing. I pray for those of our spiritually struggling. I pray that you'll heal them with your truth. I pray that you give everyone here the desire to listen and read your word this week. And as we come to listen and read your word, I pray that you'll speak to them through these means. I pray for those of us who are going through unemployment. Those of us who are looking for jobs, I pray, Lord, that you provide for them. They have physical needs, they have financial needs, I pray that you meet them. Maybe, you'll not, maybe you're not going to meet it the way they think that they will want you to meet. May they be humble enough, Lord, not to give you their agenda. But may you provide for them the way that you, that you, that, that, that you will them to be. All these things. In Jesus' name we pray.